Welcome to the HVG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion of from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We're Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So here we are, uh, episode two, still figuring out the podcast thing, so bear with us as we, uh, maybe sometimes are a little awkward, but we're... We're working on our podcast presence. We're trying to figure it out as best we can, but we certainly had a lot of fun with episode one, so we're glad that you're back joining us for episode two. Yeah, you must be a glutton for punishment if you're still here. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so we're in the Gospel of Mark, and just a brief recap, uh, you can go back and listen to episode one, which takes us through uh, Mark 1, 1 through 20, uh, but we were introduced to Jesus, and um, John the Baptist came in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus was baptized and tempted. And then began his ministry. Uh, we ended last week with him calling the first disciples. And um, kind of ended on that question of, you know, like, Jesus shows up and they, they follow him. And like, why would they leave everything behind for Jesus? Yeah, these guys, they leave their work behind. They leave their family behind all to follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Mark is going to give us some solid reasons why they were willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. So that's where we're going to start today is in Mark 1 verse 21. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And I'm today. reading from the New American Standard Bible. So got right. a couple different translations. Excellent. Well, I uh, hope you can either follow along with us or if you're driving, uh, you can listen along. I'll read the text out loud. This is Mark 1, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Wow. I mean, that is a yeah. interesting <laughs> first story. I mean, and we've talked about this before, a lot of the Old Testament allusions into the New Testament. We've talked about that in the previous podcast with Elijah. But it's really interesting. You can't help but notice if you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's two very new ideas here. Demon possession and synagogues. So those are two things we really haven't seen much of in the Old Testament, and yet here they both are right here in this first story. So to start with, it says that Jesus, on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue. And what even is a synagogue? Yeah, so it's just like this place where people would gather for worship, a Jewish place of worship. So they're getting together, of course, on the Sabbath day, um, the day of rest, um, and the day of worship. Uh, so they came together, and Jesus is teaching here. And this is cool. I, I was grateful to be able to go on a trip to Israel last year, uh, almost a year ago now. Wow. Exactly. Um, and we went to Capernaum and there is this synagogue. Um, now the synagogue that's still standing is fourth century. So it's a couple hundred years after Jesus, but it's built on top of the synagogue where this happened. Wow. So it's just really cool to see. And there's like a little sign on the side that shows the division of like the, the white rock above is the fourth century one and the black rock below is like, this is where Jesus taught. Like this is where he was. And that's just an amazing thing about these accounts is this is not in a kind of a made up world. Uh, this is 
in real places, real people, and uh, real events. So he's kind of in the middle of this synagogue service, and this dude's screaming. I mean, this would be a crazy thing to like come home from synagogue and be like, hey, mom, like, guess what happened at synagogue today? Yeah, I mean, there's this guy screaming, and uh, he's clearly demon-possessed, and he screams, what business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? And on top of that, he even says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Yeah. And so Jesus is not having it. I mean, he says, be quiet, get out. And a couple interesting things on that is, one, Jesus doesn't want the demon saying that, which is a little strange because, like, the demon's right. The demon's not saying anything false about Jesus. He, yeah, he is the Holy One of God. That's right. I mean, even later, Jesus' own apostle, Peter, will say the same exact thing about Jesus. He's the Holy One of God, and yet Jesus tells this demon to be quiet. Yeah, so sometimes people ask, like, well, why would he tell the demon to be quiet? And if you think about it, it's pretty simple. I mean, if Jesus is going to be teaching in these different towns, you don't really want demons being the one saying, even if it's true about you, it's just kind of bad PR, you know? Yeah. Oh, I heard that he's the son of God. Oh, where'd you hear that? Well, the, the demon-possessed guy said, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we don't want the word getting out that way. Um, so Jesus is telling him to be quiet and to come out, and the evil spirit comes out. I mean, it convulses the guy, and he screams out some more, but he, it comes out immediately. It obeys Jesus. And everyone is just floored. What is this? A new teaching with authority. And that's an important thing not to overlook. Y'all remember back in verse 21, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Jesus was in there for the purpose of teaching, and yet there is this miracle that accompanies it. And that's a very important idea to see as we go through the scripture. Where Jesus is teaching, miracles will soon follow. Jesus wasn't just out there doing miracles willy-nilly. There was a purpose for them to confirm that what he was saying was from God. Yeah. And this is one of those cases. That's right. And I think I've heard it put that the miracle confirms the message. Right. That's helpful to connect those things is that, again, this wasn't just kind of like a party trick or something. Right. It's like that he is doing a miracle so that people will listen to what he has to say. Because anybody could just walk in and say, like, okay, like this is the Lord. But unless you have some miraculous power to back it up, then... This is a this is a problem. Yeah, and it works. I mean, we look at the things that they say about him. This man, it says he is a it's a new teaching with authority. And back in verse twenty two, it says he wasn't teaching as the scribes were. You know, the scribes didn't have the same amount of authority that Jesus did when he was teaching. And so, Mark in his gospel, he's proving to us the authority that Jesus had. Mm-hmm. And to start with, he has the authority to cast out unclean spirits. Yes, that's right. Well, that gets us into the next section. We're going to see several things that Jesus has authority over as we move through uh, this section. So let's read uh, together. Uh, Chase, you got verse uh, 29 down through 39? Yeah, sounds good. And it says, And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up 
left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. All right. So uh, it's interesting here in verse 29, he, he immediately, again, again, Mark's like favorite word, immediately this, immediately that. He comes out of the synagogue and goes to the house of Simon and Andrew. So this Simon would be Simon, Peter, um, that Jesus gives him the nickname, the rock, mm-hmm. Peter, yeah. Uh, Cephas. Yeah, that's right. Um with James and John. So we've got kind of the, the four guys that he's called. And it's interesting. Uh, this is Simon and Andrew's house. They're brothers. And um, we don't know exactly which one was theirs. But traditionally, again, in Capernaum, when I was there last year, it, it, it's amazing how close this was. It was like with a decent arm, like you can hit the traditional spot of the house from the synagogue. It's like you walk out the front door of the synagogue and like maybe 50 feet away is this fishing hut that they believe might have been Peter's house. So that's pretty cool that there they are. They're just walking out the door and they go over there. So um, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. And that's kind of interesting just because what do we know about Peter? If he had a mother-in-law, he had a wife, he was married, which goes against what a lot of people think about Peter. He was actually married. And uh, this is how we know that. Yep. That's right. And uh, so, Immediately, again, uh, they told him about her, and he takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and the fever left her. And this is what's interesting about this. this is instant healing, and then she begins to serve them. Yeah, so this wasn't like, you know, in two or three days, you'll start feeling better, get back on your feet. No, Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately. You know, and that's was the case for her. The fever leaves her, and she goes to wait on them and to serve them, which is it shows just the power of Jesus. That's right. Yeah. So it shows the power. Uh, one, that is an immediate healing. This isn't a, you know, a pseudo miracle or kind of a slow recovery thing, but boom, she's already feeling well enough to serve them. But I also just love the idea here that she was healed, not just to take care of herself, but she's immediately serving others. And I mean, that's what we ought to do as Jesus helps us and as we're forgiven of our sins and get our life back together. Uh, Jesus takes care of us and helps us so that we're able to help other people and that she's a great example for us in that. And so after this, that evening at sundown, I mean, the word's getting out. And so they're bringing him all these people oppressed by demons, many people sick, various diseases. And again, the demons are not permitted to speak. Same reason. But, uh, you know, the gospel authors just give us a sampling of the, the healing miracles that Jesus did. And of course he didn't heal every single sick person. Ever when Jesus left the earth, there were still sick people. There were still demon possessed people. Uh, but what we have here is a sampling of His authority and a sampling of His power, uh, which really leads us in that next or this last part of this, where He gets up early in the morning to to pray. Yeah, and it's like still dark. You know, uh, He gets up at like oh dark thirty or whatever, and yeah. is out in the wilderness praying, probably because I mean the night before He was swamped with people healing it. Or, not healing him, but he's swamped with people coming to yeah. be healed. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds simple, but wouldn't you want to sleep in? I mean, if, if, you, <laughs> if you've been that busy, you'd want to sleep in. But what we have here is Jesus making it a priority to go and pray to God the Father. And the thing that's always impressed me about that is, if Jesus, as Mark has told us in chapter 1, verse 1, is the Son of God, 
if the Son of God feels the need to pray, how much more so should I feel the need to pray to my Father in heaven? That's right. Jesus made this a priority. And I think there's a, a really helpful lesson in having that place that you go to, that secluded place you can go to to talk to God and get that alone time with the Father. That's an important thing I pull from this. Yeah. And it's interesting that like he was out there long enough. I mean, he got up before the sun came up, but then apparently is there for an extended amount of time so that the, the disciples are looking for him. And they find him like, everybody's looking for you. But Jesus is like, made this a priority. But then he says something kind of surprising in verse 38. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Yeah, I love, I love that Mark points this out for us. Because if we were to survey 100 people with various different Bible knowledges and say, hey, what was the purpose of Jesus when he was here? You know, we get all kinds of answers, but I think a lot of those answers would be like, oh, well, he was here to do miracles. He was here to, you know, heal people and stuff like that. Of course, to die for us. Yeah, and of course, to die for us. But it says here in verse 38, Jesus came to preach. That's what he was here for. That's right. And that was really the purpose of the miracles. Exactly. He could have stayed in Capernaum for years just healing all the sick people, but he wants the message to get out. The miracles confirm the message, and that's really his main goal. In, in all of this. Yeah, exactly. So that leads us to the next uh, healing story. We're picking up here in Mark 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So, I mean, we've got this leper, and I think it would be good for us to define what that is. I mean, in America, we don't have lepers running around, but this was a skin disease. I mean, this was such a bad skin disease, it would eat out your skin and get down to your bones, and you would end up even losing uh, your fingers, sometimes your hand, and so forth and so on. So this was a horrible, horrible disease that not only ate through your skin, but it was horribly infectious. Yeah, contagious. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You heard like a leper colony, you know, you had to live outside the the village. It just, it ruins your your whole life. Yeah. And so you can only be with other lepers. You have to cry unclean, unclean, so that people know like not to get near you. Yeah, and that that all comes from the Old Testament, what Stephen just said from Leviticus 13 and 14. There were two chapters dedicated to what to do with lepers because it could take out a whole population quickly. Yeah, and so... It's fascinating just to see this man's faith from the get-go. He comes and he kneels down before Jesus and says, If you will, you can make me clean. So he just realizes that the only thing between him and being healed is Jesus wanting it to be that way. And so you already see that this guy has faith in Jesus. He knows that, like, well, Jesus doesn't have to heal me. But if he wants to, my leprosy can be gone right now. Yep. So that's powerful. Uh, And, of course, Jesus says... I will be clean. But what's powerful about this is he could have just said those words, but he doesn't just say it. Yeah. He reached out and touched him. I'd just like to think, how long do you think it had been since this man had been embraced or touched in some way? I don't know. Yeah. And that goes a long, long way. Jesus is moved with compassion, the text says, 
and touches him. Yeah. And normally, you know, when you've got something clean and something unclean, right? Because the thing with leprosy is that not only it was bad for you, but like anything you touch becomes ceremonially unclean right. uh, under the law. And so normally when something clean something touches something unclean, the unclean thing doesn't become clean. The clean thing becomes unclean. Yeah. The, a helpful example I like to use with this is when I come back from a run and I'm just as sweaty as I can be, if I walk up to my wife and give her a big hug, there's no amount of cleanness that she could be that would rub off on me. Only the uncleanness is going to rub off on her. That's just the way it works. That's really gross. But yes, that, that that's the idea. It makes the point. Yeah. yeah. But what's amazing is that the power and authority of Jesus is such that when he touches the leper, the leper becomes clean. Yeah. He cleanses the unclean. And that is mind boggling. That's supposed to stop us in our tracks and go, wait, really? Yeah. He can do that? It's reverse. Exactly. So then he tells the guy, don't say anything to anyone. And he gives kind of an exception to that. Go tell the priest um, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is all in the Old Testament, Leviticus 14. You can read about the different offerings. Because uh, the priests, one of their jobs was to kind of evaluate, like a doctor would, a uh, skin disease and determine, hey, is this actually leprosy or is it some other thing? And if they diagnosed you, you know, you were then kind of exiled. Yeah, the but term they, was they would get put outside the camp. Right, yeah. right. But then if it was healed, then the priest would do this. Now, again, I don't think there was really a cure for leprosy. And so the fact that they go to the priest, I'm assuming maybe even the same priest who diagnosed them. And wait a minute. I told you you have How do you not? What? Like, and so it's interesting. That he says for a proof to them. Um, so Jesus is wanting some people to realize what's going on here, that this man used to be a leper, and now he's not. Unfortunately, though, this guy doesn't obey Jesus. Uh, he, he goes out and just begins to spread it all over the place, which, again, it's like, well, why didn't Jesus want him to do that? Yeah, well, it's like you can sympathize with the guy. Wouldn't you want to just yeah. immediately go out and tell everybody? Yeah, but it's interesting is that this really seems to slow Jesus down. Right after that, it says that he did it so much that Jesus couldn't openly enter a town because he's, everybody knows. And so he's just even more swamped. So he's having to stay out in desolate places kind of in the wilderness. And even there, people are coming to him from all over. And so right here in the first chapter, we've already learned everything that Jesus is able to do. We're about to learn something else as well. But I mean, imagine if there was a man like this in Harrisburg, right? I mean, he would be well known within the day. Oh, yeah. He'd be known in New Cumberland, uh, over in Camp Hill. Oh, I mean, in our digital age, I mean, it would yeah. go around the world. Exactly. Quick. And so it's no surprise that Jesus becomes as well known as he becomes uh, here. That's right. Yeah, so this really takes us into chapter two. Um, again, sometimes the uh, chapter breaks and our English Bibles uh, break up stories that can go together. So let's keep reading here into chapter two. Chase, you got one through um, 12? Yeah. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there 
and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went on in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So he's back to Capernaum after a few days. And it says there, it was reported that he was at home uh, in the ESV here. And um, it's kind of interesting because Jesus doesn't really have a permanent spot so much. But he, Capernaum kind of became his home base. Lots of times he's coming back to Capernaum. He'll go out to different yeah, towns. He, he was a well-traveled man, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, now in Capernaum. I mean, he's been a little bit of everywhere. Yeah. So again, there's so many people gathered here. He, he's become so popular that you can't even get in. It's not even just standing room only. You can't even get in the door. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, Stephen. I've certainly been in instances like that. And it's it's crowded and it's tough. And it's also a little frustrating when you don't have wiggle room like that. And so, but that's, everyone was willing to deal with that because Jesus was in there. Right, of course. Which is really cool. And here he's not healing in, at the beginning of this, but he's preaching the word to them. Again, over and over in this section, we see Jesus teaching. And so there's these four guys who have a friend who is lame, can't walk, and they get to the door. It's kind of interesting to me that like the crowd doesn't let him in. <laughs> that would have been, I guess, kind of frustrating. Yeah. And but they could have just gone home and be like, "Well, Jesus is kind of booked for the day. I mean, we can't even get in the door." So. Yeah, or wait him out, wait till he comes out or something. But yeah, that's not what they do. They are determined to get their friend to Jesus, and so they get up on the roof, make an opening in the roof. And then let down the bed in front of where Jesus is, is teaching. Don't you want friends like that? Yeah. That are willing to do anything to get you to Jesus? That's right. Those are the type of friends we need. Yeah. And we need to be those kind of friends. Too. Amen. And I just kind of try to imagine being somebody in the room and, you know, Jesus is teaching and you're fascinated. But then you hear this, you know, up on the roof and then the roof opens up and yeah. down comes this paralyzed man clearly you know he, he's on a bed and he comes down in front of jesus and everyone's eyes are on jesus like okay like what's gonna happen and you're expecting all right he's gonna like make him walk here it comes but what's the first thing that jesus says son your sins are forgiven well, well yeah and i mean i think about the paralyzed guy too <laughs> i was like well well thanks but like i'm here like my issue is actually something different, you know, but it's yeah. kind of interesting that Jesus doesn't heal him physically first. He heals him spiritually. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And of course, this is the moment where there's some scribes that are sitting there and they're questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus responds to their internal question, which tells us also, I mean, he's he knows what's in people's hearts. Yeah, and that's powerful to, to think through Jesus doing that. that. And that would almost be scary. It's like, oh, whoa, this guy, he read my mind. He like knows what I'm thinking. Right. And so he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, 
or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And so you've got this question that's posed where, I mean, I guess technically it might be easier to say your sins are forgiven because a an unforgiven paralyzed guy looks a whole lot like a forgiven paralyzed yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could say it and, and claim that it's true, but there's not like a proof. You don't get like a, a, a certificate in the mail saying, congratulations, your sins have been forgiven. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. it, it's an invisible thing. But really, I think the point Jesus is driving at here is that, okay, who can forgive sins? God. They, they've already said that in their hearts. Only God can forgive sins. Who can make a lame man walk? God. Only God can. Right. And so he, he draws the two together in verse 10. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus gives them something that they could see to prove the thing that they couldn't see. Right. Because that lame man got up and walked out, they could also know that he was a forgiven right. man. And that's really the more important kind of healing that Jesus came to bring is the forgiveness of sins. And I don't want to cubbyhole every instance of Jesus's healings, but it is often like him to start with the spiritual and move to the physical because that's where his priorities are. I'll say this too. One of the most powerful things we can pull away from this that we need to understand is that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. When somebody sins, who have they sinned against? They've sinned against God. They've sinned against God. And if Jesus has the ability to forgive those sins, what does that tell us about him? He is God. That's right. And that is a big thing we need to see from the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ is that he is fully man and he is fully God. That's right. And you know what's interesting to me about the way that Mark writes this and all the gospel authors is, is they don't come right out and and say, I mean, Mark did at the beginning, but in these stories, we're just kind of left with the same sense of awe and wonder and left to draw our own conclusions from it, just like those people would have been. It is, is Mark is recording these accounts of Jesus so that we will, in a sense, encounter Jesus ourselves and come to have the same questions and have the same experience of like, this is, these are from eyewitness accounts. And who is this man who can forgive sins? And of course they marvel at the end of this. We never saw anything like this. This is incredible. You know, I want to make a side point is that there's a powerful lesson here in the nature of biblical faith. You know, we live in an age where uh, faith is under fire a lot, kind of like faith versus science, things like that. And a lot of times people think of religious faith as just really it's a blind faith. Can you have it or you don't? And if you do, you just believe no matter what. People show you evidence to the contrary. And like it's just, it doesn't matter. You just believe. Biblical faith is not a blind faith. Here, Jesus gave them something that they could see to prove to them the thing that they cannot see. And that's just really important. It is, it's true that like we can't 100% like prove, like, okay, you can't put down a test tube or say like, okay, there he is. Here's his street address, you know, whatever. But there are things in God's creation that we can look at and say, because I know this is true and like this could not happen by accident then I have reason to believe in the thing that I cannot see. And we're not going to do this whole, we can do a whole podcast with evidences. Right. But the principle here is that Jesus expects these people to believe that that man's sins are forgiven. 
based on something that they could see. Right. And there are things that we can see and test that point to the existence of things that we cannot see yep. or test. Yeah. Great and point. That's biblical faith. Yep. We have to we have to be willing to uh, to operate that way. Right. Well, and bringing it back to the very beginning of the podcast, we talked about these guys who were willing to leave their work behind, leave their family behind to follow Jesus. And the question we had is why? Why would they follow someone like this? Well, I hope this podcast, episode two, has explained to everybody why it's worth it. And after reading about Jesus' ability to cast out unclean spirits, heal the sick, cleanse the unclean, and lastly, his ability to forgive the sins of man, the question we want to ask everybody and ask ourselves is, would you follow a guy like this? Yeah. Absolutely. That's powerful. And what are we doing to be his followers? Are we actually obeying his teaching? And uh, if you have any more questions about that, of course, you can reach out to us. But man, what a powerful, powerful text that teaches us everything Jesus has authority over. Yeah, that's right. So next week, we're going to continue in chapter two and get into chapter three, um, Lord willing. And um, there's three questions that people are going to ask Jesus. We're going to see how Jesus handles confrontation. And it's interesting to see how these questions kind of connect together and yeah. uh, how they go together. With anybody who's getting a lot of fame and of a lot of attention, there's going to be opposition soon behind that. And so we're going to get to see how Jesus handles that. That's right. Well, if you have any questions about today's show um, or want to just reach out and talk with us, whether you're local or whether uh, you're farther away, please uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can call or text us at our Google voice number, 717-585-0949. Uh, shoot us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Um, or you can uh, find out more at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks for listening today. 